All right. Good morning. Man, I hope your happy Thanksgiving went well. Um, I don't know about you guys, man, but that's just way too much food in a period of six hours from lunch to dinner. I, I literally felt like a stuffed turkey. Um, it was tough, man. But the good thing was, is the first time my cowboys didn't disappoint me. I usually eat dinner all angry and just like frustrated. And, and so I want to talk to you today about joy and discouragement. <laughs> Originally, um, I was given the assignment to speak about discouragement and dis- disappointments. A lot of that is very similar to the sadness and some of the sorrows and depression that we face, but as we're right in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I also kind of wanted to bring out the beauty and the joy of what this season is about and how we can find enduring joy in Christ. You know, the holiday seasons, uh, they're great for many of us, but for some of us, they're reminders of people we miss or of times that are not going so well. And when we see people's posts, when we see things on the internet, it can actually create a sense of disappointment in maybe our own family, myself, God. And I think one of the hardest things to talk about in, in the church community is that there might actually be disappointments with God. It's somewhere along the way that I feel like God has let me down. And we don't often talk or share about those, but there are times when those are a reality in our journey. And so today, right in between these seasons of Thanksgiving and Christmas, I thought it'd be great if we could talk about what joy is in the midst of some of the disappointing and discouraging times that we face. Many years ago, John Piper, a Christian author of several books, a teacher to many of the pastors in our country, and and a former pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he he wrote about a topic called Christian hedonism, two words that often don't ever go together. But he wrote this. He said, Christian hedonism is a conviction that God's ultimate goal in this world, his glory, and our deepest desire to be happy, are one and the same. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction for the human soul, but God himself is glorified by our being satisfied in him. Therefore, our pursuit of joy in him is essential. Christian hedonism claims that the Christian life should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God, both joy in quality as well as quantity, fullness of joy and joy forevermore, as Psalm 1611 says, are found only in him. And a lot of times, though, well-meaning Christians and people who are just experiencing and enjoying the holidays, there are a lot of times when we lose sight of what really is our source of joy. And sometimes because of the things we don't have or the people we're no longer around, it can rob us of our joy. And so to understand these things, I want us to understand a few definitions. We'll look at the text, and we'll look at some uh, lessons we could learn from this beautiful passage in Hebrews. But before we do, what are disappointments? Disappointments, and being disappointed, is the natural reaction of unmet desires. It is the sadness or displeasure caused by non-fulfillment of one's hopes and expectations. So you have all these hopes and expectations of a meal, of a family gathering. All of a sudden, two or three of the families that are supposed to come over said they can't make it. The dinner turns out to get burned or it's undercooked. Uh, 
and you're disappointed. Discouragement, on the other hand, is the acceptance that disappointment as truth. And so sometimes there's a sense of discouragement. You lose hope. You no longer are energetic and excited. You actually are discouraged. And it's probably one of the challenges that we face even in sports. I'm sure it's hard and it's discouraging when you see the other team constantly scoring and the expectation was that that wouldn't happen. It would be us that are scoring. Just recently, in the game one of the 2017 NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, on the Cleveland Cavaliers, one of the players, a premier shooter by the name of J.R. Smith, rebounds a missed free throw with 4.7 seconds left. And all he had to do was put it back in and they would have won. Instead, he runs out the clock by dribbling the ball away from the basket and there is this iconic picture of LeBron James last year going like this. I mean, he's just, what are you doing? You're a professional. You're supposed to know the game was tied. Why are you going in the opposite? And so that to me was disappointment and discouragement all wrapped up in one. I think we've all experienced some of this in life, whether it's at work being laid off, you work so hard for that promotion and then the company gets bought out. In relationships, there've been times when men and women think, man, this, this could be it. This, man, he's, he's awesome or she's beautiful. She's, she's the one that I've been praying for. And you're praying and you're longing and then after a while you break up and there is such disappointment. Marriages start with celebrations. Rarely do we ever think that it would end with such sorrow and hurt. And for couples who face the issue of divorce, you want to talk about the ultimate disappointment and dissatisfaction. Parents sometimes welcome children with a bunch of congratulations and awesome, we're so glad for you. And then right after come the sleepless nights, the endless diapers, the late night feedings, and then all of you with young children, wait till the teenagers come. <laughs> and then you got to face the kids who are just one word answers. How you doing? Good. How's school? Good. Do you have any, do you, do you know how to say more than one word? No. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things in life where you face disappointments. You're like, come on, I expected this, and this is what I got. <clears throat> and I wonder sometimes in the church, how many of us have been asking God for something very significant, maybe for months or even years, and it seems as though the answer is no, and he's been silent. And there are times when we come together and we're not as joyful. We're not as celebratory. We're not here to worship. Sometimes maybe we sit here and wonder and we question. Definition that distinguishes happiness and joy. Happiness is something that is circumstantial. It is outside of us. I'm happy because of a circumstance or an event or a person. Joy is found in a hope and the assurance of who you are why you are, and where your contentment is truly found. And so joy is found for Christians in Jesus. It is internal. It's something that can't be taken away. It is like standing in the middle of a storm and feeling at peace. This is the joy given, but this is a joy that often can be lost 
in perspective as well as in life. And so how we respond to circumstances and the false narratives that float around in our hearts and our heads during times of disappointment and discouragement will lead either to joy or to the sense of discouragement. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read two verses today, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles or you're opening it up on your digital device, these two verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. The theme in this particular passage, in this context, I want us to understand what, what the writer is writing. The writer of Hebrews <clears throat> is writing to a, a struggling Hebrew Christian community. It's a community of believers who, who were formerly Jews. And, and if a, if a Jewish person were eventually to trust in Jesus Christ as his, his or her Messiah, it was a significant decision because there were many during their day who rejected him as their Messiah. It's the reason why he was crucified. And to make that step of faith and to come into a, a, a decision where you are no longer considered a Jew but now a part of, quote, the way, a follower of Jesus, it was a separation from your old community. It was a separation from your family, your friends, the way that you used to live before, all the synagogue attempts at worship and all the different experiences as a cultural and religious Jewish person was now changed because all those things are fulfilled in Christ. And so that decision eventually changed, brought a change, tremendous change in not only their life, but their community. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to this community to endure, have an, to run this race with endurance. Don't quit. Don't give up. Why? Because the first 11 chapters of Hebrews, the writer is arguing that Jesus is better than everything you left. Jesus is, is worth your commitment and your life. And that what you left behind, what was of your faith is now fulfilled and you, he's, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than the laws. He's greater than the priest. He is in fact the ultimate priest. And, and the argument goes on and on and on throughout the book of Hebrews. And then we reach verse chapter 12 where it gives us the conclusion. The writer of Hebrews gives us finally a therefore. And the theme of enduring, enduring the, the race to finish that race, he gives us Christ an example and we want to understand that in verse 2, there is an irony of the mentioning of cross, the cross and joy together. And so this morning, I, I want us to think about how we discover and experience and see this enduring joy. And so from this passage, the first thing that we want to learn is that enduring joy is found when we have the right expectations for the right race. The right expectations for the right race. We choose to respond depending on what we allow ourselves to focus on. And there are a lot of times when we want to define 
what that race is. And race is an analogy for life. It is the life that we want to live. The race now has changed from what was to now following Jesus. And the expectations we have either will lead us to discouragement and disappointment or it will lead us to joy. And so there are a lot of times, if you think about the context of those who were once Jewish in faith and now accepting Christ as Messiah, there were a lot of things that maybe they might have anticipated that following Jesus might bring about. There are a lot of people even today as Christians who think and expect that if I believe in Jesus Christ, that my life should be better. It should be happier. Um, That if I pray, especially prayers that aren't directed at myself, but even for others that I care about or love, that the answer should be yes. That my faith should be strong and getting stronger, not doubting or struggling with my faith. And then when you think about the future, if you're in your 20s and you're thinking about the next 40 years of your life, I'm sure you have wonderful pictures of what you think that life will be. But when you reach your 30s, 40s, and even your 50s, and life isn't what expected to be, those bubbles pop. And then we begin to ask the questions, God, where are you? And why would you allow certain things to happen as they did? There are times when we might truly question, doubt, or even be disappointed and discouraged in our faith. And like the Hebrew Christians, we are called to run this race of life with endurance. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't get distracted. But to focus. The race that is set before us. I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews uses this phrase not only for us, but for Jesus. The race set before us and the cross that was set, the joy that was set before him. That these were not uh, written in, in just for, by accident, they were intentional. That there's someone else that set it before us. Someone else set the table. Someone else set the direction. And the race has already been marked out. The path of following Christ has already been set. There are a lot of times, though, if you're like me, I want to tell God how that race should turn. I, I want to tell him that this is not a good thing. This is a good thing, so let's do it my way. And when he doesn't, it's discouraging. The race that has been set before us is not a race, a life, that is going to be trouble-free, pain-free, or sorrow-free. It's not. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a number of witnesses, and he has just gone through chapter 11 listing the hall of faith, listing and recounting name after name and all the experiences that the saints of old went through. And when he described what they went through, listen to how chapter 11 ends from verse 37 to the end of chapter 11. It says, they, the saints of old, were stoned. They were sawn in two, sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the desert and mountains 
and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What was he talking about? He was talking about the one who was to come. And here he says, look to these great cloud of witnesses. Understand that the race that has been marked out for us looks just like the race that Jesus ran. It's not going to be filled with all these wonderful moments and, 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 and happy-go-lucky moments. There will be times of difficulties and challenges. There'll be times when you will struggle. There'll be times when you will come to the garden and wrestle with God in prayer. The second way the writer of Hebrews encourages the, the, the new community of believers to endure in their joy is that they would lay aside, that they would lay aside every weight. When you run a race, you don't run it fully clothed and with a backpack on. You run it as light as you possibly can. That's why you see runners oftentimes, sometimes wearing no shirt at all, just shorts and shoes. <laughs> and runners can do that. Guys like me can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to see me in runner's clothes. But if we do run, you want to run with as light of clothing as possible. And as you do, it says every weight, you want to lay aside, you want to lay off every weight and you want to throw off or all the sin that so easily or closely clings to us. And here, the language can be also understood as something that so constantly distracts us from the race that we are running. I would like to argue that perhaps one of the qualities or aspects of sin that this Hebrew community was struggling with was doubt and unbelief. Is Jesus really the Messiah? None of us were there to see him, eyewitness. And here, perhaps one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews takes 11 chapters to argue for who Jesus is, better than anything they had before, better than Moses, better than the kings, better than the prophets, better than all the priesthood that they've ever seen, Jesus was better. And he said... Lay aside, put all those things down so that you could run with endurance. There's a temptation to return to the old way of life or at least to be able to add something to Jesus. For the Hebrew Jews, it meant adding Moses and the laws or their traditions or their religious ceremonies and Jesus. For us today, Sometimes it's my old way of life as well as my faith in Jesus. It's how I used to live and speak, and then I trust in Jesus for heaven. And I want you to understand that if you try to hold on to both, you will feel torn. That the commitment to follow Jesus is not a half-hearted commitment. It's not a half of me. It's an all of me. And one of the perplexing questions that I have faced throughout the years in my own life and in the life of the church is the fact that we have to almost beg people to pray more. We all know the importance of prayer in principle, but why not in practice? 
Why is it so hard to get people to come to a prayer meeting? Why is it so hard to encourage people to pray more, even though we all know we should? And perhaps the, question might ans- the answer to that question might be that maybe it's because prayer doesn't work the way I expect it to at times. I mean, I ask, and I should get an answer, usually a favorable one. But when there's seeming silence or an answer that seemingly says no because whatever you asked for, it went the other direction. And so sometimes we don't know how to answer this. We don't understand what God's doing. And therefore, you either have to say either something's not true about him or I don't get something or maybe a possibly a, a combination of both. And we don't want to dwell there because that's too disturbing. So we just move on. To move from disappointments to points when you expected something from God. You, by faith, you, you expected something to happen and it didn't happen. And then whatever you thought was the foundation and security that you held on to could get rocked. I can tell you, I can share with you, many times in ministry, the disappointments and discouragements that often face us in leadership are very challenging. Perhaps one of the hardest things that pastors we talk about in, in times of retreat is how hard it is to see people leave that we care for. We've ministered to, we've spent time, we've invested in. And there's nothing more discouraging and, and hurtful than to see someone just leave and the, their reasons just aren't that good, you know? And through the years, that has happened to me many times. And it, it, even though there are plenty of people here, there, there's 99, there's one that's lost. There's, there's a few that left. And there's just this, this, this pain, this, this disappointment. But I want you to understand that the focus of what we're looking at here is to understand to have the right expectation for the right race. That what God is doing in your life and my life is not to fill it with a bunch of happy moments but to give you the assurance that with patience and when we endure, we understand and we see not only is he present, but he's working beautifully. And when you see that, when you endure and are patient, you see how God works. The second thing that we want us to under, he wants us to understand is, is that when we face the disappointments, when we try to move from disappointments to joy, It's really about whom we're looking at. Who is it that we're looking at and the focus of our running? And so the second point beyond the joy when we find it in right expectations for the right race is that enduring joy is found in the source of our strength to run. Now, I don't run very much. (laughs) Um, But when I get on the treadmill or when I try to run a couple of miles, Within the, it never fails. Within the first half mile, I want to quit. I want to get off the treadmill. I'm like, I'm too tired, man. My bones ache. Uh, I try to run, and I'm like, oh, okay, half a mile. Maybe I'll make it to a mile. And then I'm like, oh, I want to quit. And then I think, no, but you committed to two miles. Run the two miles. There's that focus. And for some of you, it can be five miles or ten miles. And some of you who run the marathon, y'all crazy. I don't know how you run that. I would literally die. (laughs) But it is this 
fixing your eyes on Jesus. It is looking to Jesus who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Dr. Morris writes, he, Jesus, looked right through the cross to the coming joy, the joy of bringing salvation to those he loves. That it wasn't the cross, but he looked right through the cross and saw what the cross would bring. Pastor John Piper writes, he was sustained by the hope of the total success of his mission, the joy that was set before him. He could taste, and he could taste it enough of this joy to carry him through. He said, I think that's what the meaning of the text is. That it wasn't the pain of the moment. It wasn't the pain at mile one or mile 16. It was the joy of the finish. The reality of the call to run the race with Christ, Jesus told his disciples the reality of what it would be like to follow him. I'm glad that Jesus never sugarcoated it. He made it very clear. And if you go back and read the Gospels over again and look for what he tells his disciples to expect. In John 16, starting at verse 20 to 22, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples to anticipate in following him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because, of her, because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has, come, has been born into the world. So also, likewise, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. As Christians, we don't look at the moment. If you do, you will be discouraged and disappointed. There's plenty of things to be disappointed about, whether it's in other people, whether it's in circumstances, or even in yourself. And by the way, the hardest place to be able to overcome is a disappointment in yourself when, you're, when you find it so hard to forgive yourself for the mistakes you've made. But I want to encourage you not to look at the moment, but to look ahead. Not only ahead, but look to a person. It doesn't say look to a future. It says looking to Jesus. And it defines who he is. He is the founder, the author, as well as the perfecter of our faith. And that gives us great joy because no matter how hard it is in the middle, he is the one who not only began this race for you, but he is the one who is capping on. Come on, let's go. Look, let's go. He's the one who is the perfecter of your faith. The response to disappointments and discouragement is not just trying to hope for something. Or people who say, I have faith. Saying I have faith is an incomplete sentence. Faith in what? Faith in whom? And the writer of Hebrews tells us, in Jesus. Now I know, as a good Reformed church, your answer might be, yeah, we've heard that a lot before. But as we talk about what it means to preach for ourselves, it is during these moments of discouragement or moments of disappointment in yourself or in others that you don't just simply pause and look at the moment, but you're able to look beyond and see the author and perfecter of our faith. This is not about positive thinking or about self-motivation. It's not just willing yourself to finish the race like I try to do sometimes in my own running. 
what the writer of Hebrews is, is saying is that the Christian, the, the Christian race isn't just an uphill run. It's, about, it's the reality of facing life as we follow Christ. And so the call to the writer, uh, the call to the Hebrew community was to look to the object of our faith and understand that this momentary affliction, which Paul writes to the Corinthian church, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's awaiting for you at the end is far greater, far heavier than what you're facing today. And that whatever faith is, in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance and the conviction of things unseen. Why? Because you can see the future? No. Because you know who holds the future. And one of the things that has been a conviction in my heart, and I've said to myself many times, is Jesus the Savior and the Messiah? Or is he not? If he is, then this is all worth it. If he's not, then none of this is worth it. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, if he didn't resurrect, then drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I mean, what's the point? But if he did live again, did he, if he did rise again, then all of this is worth it. This whole journey, this whole race, is something that we can find joy in the midst of. It was to understand that the cross was a path to the throne. That he endured and he, he found joy in the work of the cross because he would, he would eventually go and sit at the right hand of God the Father. John Piper writes, the greatest labor of love that ever happened was possible because Jesus pursued the greatest imaginable joy, namely the joy of being exalted to the right hand of God in the assembly of the redeemed people. For that joy was set before him, enduring the cross and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Donald Guthrie in his commentary on Hebrews writes, the cross without the throne would be seen as a tragedy and not a triumph. He didn't just die, he rose again. He didn't just rise again, he went and now is seated the right hand of the throne of God. And this is where as Christians, I, the, the pastoral counseling that we, that we wanna remind as believers is not just, I hope you can just be happy. Let's just look to God. But it's, it's much more than that. It's looking to the one who not only did it himself, but understands when we falter. And this is where I really love the third thing that I really want to share with you is that it's not just enduring joy is found in the right expectations and right race. It's not just that joy is found in the source of our strength to run, which is Christ, which is awesome. But thirdly, that enduring, the, uh, the enduring joy is a gift of the Father to finish the race well. The race that is set before us, the joy that is set before Christ was both set by the Father. Our salvation has always been in his hands and it always will be. The cross was the will of the Father for the Son. And I want you to understand that when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to ask the Father, is there another way? The answer to Jesus was no. There isn't. 
there's no other way. Are you sure, Father? Are you sure there's no other way? No, there's no other way. This is the race. This is what I have set before you. This is what you must do. And when he found himself in the presence of his father, when he saw what was waiting ahead, he found it as joy. The passion, the suffering of Christ is seen as the path to the throne of God. The cross is linked with exaltation. And the beginning and the pain of the middle of the race is seen and, con- and connected as the unavoidable path to the end of the race and the victory awaiting the enduring runner. The way this chapter ends in Hebrews chapter 12, the last verse, couple of verses, reads like this. Another therefore. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All that will not remain will be consumed. All that will remain will remain forever. And I want us to understand and find comfort as I have found comfort. I want to help you to find comfort. That of all the things that doesn't make sense in life, there have been many times that I have stood before God in prayer and if I may be very honest, I've shaken my fist at God into the air saying, God, what in the world are you thinking? I use a lot stronger words than that. And with tears flowing down my face, with anger in my heart, and maybe even some disappointment, I remember telling God my heart's pain. But during those moments, I know that there is someone who understood what that heartache is like. And my heartache will never come, and your heartache will never come at a complete separation. Only Jesus Christ cried out on our behalf and experienced the truest and most painful reason to be sorrowful, to be separated from God. And so we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Because what we deserved, he took. What he didn't deserve, he took willingly. This morning, if you've come and you've been holding on to something that has caused you disappointment and discouragement before God, about yourself, I want to encourage you to let it go. You don't have to do this, but the other, the, the other morning as I was praying, I just realized that there are some things in my life that I've been holding on to. And I just open my hand and I say, Lord, I, I just want to give this to you. And as we do, and as I was praying with my open hands, as I was praying, the thought came to me that I have a Savior who could have held on to his own life and his own glory, but he let it go. And he went on the cross and he paid my price. And I'm so thankful. If there's ever a reason why I could celebrate and rejoice is because he opened his hands and he paid a price. This morning, would you join with me to give him a word of thanks and a word of awe and reverence 
because he did for us what would have taken us an eternity to pay. Let's bow our heads together. And would you join with me in a time of prayer? If you're, so, if you're so thankful and your heart is full of joy, praise God. If you've been struggling and this season is not as joyful for you, I want to encourage you that joy is a decision of the heart to anchor yourself by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, considering it worth nothing, and then sat at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is where he leads us. Would you take a moment and just pray as I ask, uh, as I ask you to think about that? I will pray for us. Lord, with my hands held open, I thank you that you receive all that we come before you with the things that we've held in our heart, the disappointments, the discouragements, the anger, the questions. We release before you, we come before you and we say, God, would you take them? And would you remind us of the one who took it all? The one who took every one of those pains and paid with his life. And because of that, let us come with worship and reverence and awe as you consume all that will not last and allow all that will remain to last forever. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.